Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Church, it's good to be back. We are continuing our series on parables called The Revolutionary Road. Pastor Emma started off our series uh, with The Good Samaritan, and it was a phenomenal message. Um, And if you haven't had time yet to go and watch that, you can do that by hopping onto our Avant Life Church YouTube channel um, and watching that and keeping up to date. Um, But we continue now today with the, the concept of the, the, the parable teaching of Christ, and he was a master at it, he was a genius at it, and he used it with great efficiency and effectiveness, uh, and it was revolutionary, and that's the whole concept, right? He was revolutionizing how we operate as believers, um, and we're going to talk about three particular parables today that, that are actually one big parable when put into three different parts, um, and what I love about this is more often than not, when Jesus speaks, when he teaches in parables, he's not speaking to the Gentile who doesn't know. He's not speaking to the person who's unaware of the message of hope, or he's, he's not speaking to people that haven't encountered in one way or, or, or another the, the concept of faith in God. He's talking to highly religious people. He's talking to people that have a great grasp of the Old Testament, uh, who have been brought up under its teachings, under the law, who fully comprehend, or to at least to their point, have a, 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 a thorough understanding of the application of, uh, of the law and the teachings of God prior to Christ. And it begs the question, and this is it, often we read parables, and we're going to read today, and we listen to it. Um, and one thing I really love about uh, listening to or placing ourselves in a, a story like a parable that Jesus tells is that you never know which person you're going to pick to be, Right? And you never know, and you always get that one person who's like, oh, I'm always the worst. I, pick, I, I make sure that I'm the, the worst person in the parable, and that's because that's what Jesus wants us to be. And, and so we understand how much He loves us, and He's changed us. And, and all of that stuff's really good, uh, but often I find that people that choose that one have a guilt complex. Um, and it's not necessarily true that Jesus is wanting you to pick the, the most Uh, you know, the worst personality or the worst character in the story. Uh, More often than not, he wants us to look at each and every individual and realize that there's a piece of us found in every part of the story. That's what makes a parable so interesting, right? Depending where you're at in life, it's going to be be a, a dictating factor on how you approach that parable. That's what made that type of teaching so effective. Uh, and Pastor Emma mentioned this last week. It didn't matter if you were a simpleton who had no education or an academic that had spent so much time in the, so much time in the books, you would understand or you would be receiving from that parable, what is important to you. And I sometimes grieve the fact that as a, as a global church, or maybe just as a Western church, we have lost the art of storytelling, and we've honed in on the art of arguing. Right? And I find it phenomenal that when you look at Jesus, yes, he was a very good arguer when it came to the things of the Lord. But he spent a lot of his time actually uh, helping people understand his authority, understand what he was teaching through storytelling, not through arguing with them. And I think there's a, uh, there's a part of that we need to like uh, develop in our own life. I listen to podcasts a lot. Um, and if you've spent any time with me, you know that my favorite type of podcast is true crime. 
uh, and especially if it's unsolved true crime. You get a lot of these people, um, and the internet has made this possible, and the access to technology and, uh, and remote uh, recording has made this possible, that you know, they might not be qualified in anything, but they're really good storytellers. And therefore, they go and they search the information, and they retell the story, and it's captivating. And I like true crime, because it's actually a really difficult genre to tell story, or tell a story that keeps you motivated without like, just using fear. Uh, it's funny how fear, like you watch something that's filled with like, uh, you know, something that's causing you to, to, to go through fear or anxiety or stress, and for some other, you know, whatever reason, you keep watching it. Uh, I can't believe people make money through that. Uh, but one thing I like about true crime, and especially a podcast, there's no visual stimulation, uh, and there's no visual aid. It's all, it's, all, uh, it's all spoken. It's all through the, the orator's ability to help uh, create that image in your mind through storytelling. And the reason I like it so much is that it just, it stirs in me a passion, and it helps develop in me a vocabulary that makes us a better storyteller. I think if the church focused on telling the story better, not arguing the story better, we'd be more effective as Jesus was in actually sharing the good news. We're the witnesses. You know what the witness does? The witness doesn't argue. He's not a lawyer. She's not a lawyer. The witness just bears the truth in story form from their perspective, from what they experienced, from what they saw. Now, even in that, it's subjective. We get that. But it's still the truth from what they saw, and it's still a story. And so as we go through this revolutionary road theme, can I encourage you, hey, we're talking about stories that Jesus himself, whilst on earth, came up with to teach us what his heart was, what the heart of God is towards us. And so today we are, we're going we're gonna to talk about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Um, and what I, what I really enjoy about these parables is that Jesus is responding to something that is quite phenomenal. So I'm going to read it to you. Uh, it's, it's in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to that. Um, let me read it. It says this first one. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. We're going to pause here. <laughs> Don't you love this? Uh, we've got this image of, of tax collectors, the betrayers of Israel, uh, and sinners, um, you know, which would mean they're the ones that were probably unclean, um, probably breaking all the laws just so that they could live and survive, uh, in some way disregarding the authorities, uh, at least privately. Like These are the, the ones that the Pharisees really had no time for, or the people of the law had no time for. And the Bible says that they are attracted to Jesus and they want to hear what he has to say. Why would they want to hear what Jesus has to say? Because he is speaking their language. You know, Pastor Emma and I always, uh, when we do message prep, even if it annoys each other, right, babe? We always remind each other that when you bring a message, uh, our job as the preacher is to bring a message that would help those who are new to the faith as well as encourage those that have been running for a long time. Now, I know that you all at some point would have been like, well, I wish there was more meat to the sermon and I wish it was all this and I wish it was all that. Uh, and I get that. We've all been there, you know. Uh, but can I encourage you ever sit in a sermon you feel like there wasn't enough to it at uh, the the chances are it's probably more designed for someone who's new. 
and, and the preachers determined through the Holy Spirit, that is their target audience. Now, that doesn't mean you can't get something out of it because we can tell when Jesus preaches and teaches in parables, hey, there's always something that you can get out of His Word, right? And it's never beneath you. It's never too simple for you. Actually, sometimes we've got to take it back to the keep it simple, stupid standard, which is the KISS theory, to actually remind ourselves that it's not as complicated as we want to make it out to be. It's not as difficult. It just requires discipline. And we see here that the Pharisees are upset with Jesus because he is sitting and he is eating with the unclean. He's in contact with them. And they have this notion, they have this mindset that the more that Jesus spends time with these unclean people, he himself would become unclean. And, and I, I can't help but like, sort of laugh at that because... We're going to talk about things today. And if I was to preach this message maybe 20 years ago, we could probably take the narrative, like I was saying before, who are we going to be? And we'd probably take the narrative of like, we're the Pharisees, you know, where, you know, we don't want, we should be righteous at all times. We shouldn't be found in the clubs and we shouldn't be doing this on the streets. And we shouldn't be, you know, spending too much time with those that have these problems and that problems. And it's all about making sure that we do what we need to do and show them through the living example without coming into contact with them, just from a distance, show them like that piousness. Like that, that may be 20 or 30 years ago, but now now the pendulum swung the other way. I'm going to tell you that, uh, that, and the same notion as we talk about this, it's no longer that we're these, these sort of uptight Pharisees. We're on the other side of the equation where we think that uncleanliness is cool. Now, Jesus is not here going, you know what? I want to be unclean. He just understands that if anyone who's unclean has any hope, it's going to require the righteousness of Christ not to be found from a distance, but be found right within. Like holiness is never more effective than when seated in the midst of sinners. That's the point, right? If holiness is never found there, what is going to conflict with that person's lifestyle or that person's mindset or their attitude or what's going to challenge them if they never see the light? Are they ever going to know that there's darkness? Like at some point, it's not about being unclean. It's not about being in the clubs for your own sake. Though I've heard so many excuses of why you should be in the dance clubs. Hey, Brazil? No, I'm just kidding. Um, like, like, you should hear some of the stuff. You know, Pastor Ben, I was just there and I was, in there and I, and I was just trying to help. And you know, I'm, just, I'm just bringing Jesus. And I'm like, you know what? The interesting thing here is, is that being found in the clubs is not the problem. And I know some older people are like, oh my goodness, I can't believe Pastor Ben just said that. Well, it really isn't, right? Uh, the issue is why you're there. Now, Simply saying you're there to, to bring Jesus, like, and let's, let's go beyond the clubs. Let's just say an unhealthy lifestyle and you're present. And maybe it's not your lifestyle, but you're, you're finding yourself present amongst those people that live unhealthy lifestyles. And you're saying it's for Jesus. Well, why you're there is going to be either confirmed through the fruit of your labor uh, in a positive sense, or it's going to be confirmed by the destruction of your life in a negative sense. And so you can't hide that. Uh, for a time, you can try to convince people. And so what's taking place here is that here's a really interesting dynamic. Jesus is teaching truth. He's not becoming unclean. He just understands that it's going to require someone who, un- who has righteousness, who is holy, who is clean, to bring a cleaning, soothing, you know, transformation, transforming, reforming, resurrecting spirit to those who need it. So instead of approaching these Pharisees and these teachers and going, hey, let's talk about this. What you're saying is wrong. Don't you understand? He just goes straight into a story. 
I love that. I'm, I wish I had the talent. Sometimes, you know you're in trouble when someone like a leader or your parents, you do something wrong and they're like, hey, can we have a chat? And they're like, hey, can I tell you a story? And you're like, oh, here we go. Uh, Jesus doesn't even give you that heads up. He's not like, hey, can I tell you a story? He just looks at him. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and say, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. I love this uh, as a kid. You know, there's all the kid songs that they used to sing in, in kids' church. You know, uh, we all like sheep have gone astray. Yep, Bob, you know that one, Biz? Well, I just meant the Bible verse. Do you know that? I'm just kidding. Um, you know, uh, we look at this in Australia, there's like this song, and it's, it's catchy, gets in your head, and goes with you forever. Uh, it's like the song that never ends. Gift that keeps on giving. And I look at this and he answers the Pharisees initially with the problem of number one, like the first lost thing, and it's a sheep. Uh, If you've been in Avant Life long enough, you know that I'm not a fan that we keep getting referred to as sheep. They're the dumbest creatures. (laughs) All right? But their stupidity actually lends themselves for great illustrations within the Bible because their stupidity makes them vulnerable. It's actually their vulnerability uh, that allows the narrative of sheep and us to be brought together. Because we are vulnerable without our shepherd. Just like a sheep is vulnerable without its shepherd. And, and I, I love that Jesus starts using this concept. Hey, if you had, for, like, for, for story's sake, if you had a hundred sheep but one was missing, would you not leave 99 of them in the open country to go find the one? The 99 for the one. With this particular narrative, I want to look at it through the lens of church. Um. When I look at church, church is the open field in which Jesus is talking about, right? Why is church the open field? Why, is it open? Why do you leave 99 of your sheep in the open field? Well, you leave them in the open field because it's easier to see them from a distance, right, if you're a shepherd. And furthermore, it's easier for the sheep to see predators make their approach. Why? Because it's open. Everything's visible. There's less places to hide. The other sheep, the one that's missing, has probably gone up into the nooks and crannies of the mountain and through the valleys and where it's a little bit more dangerous, where it could either hurt itself or be set upon by the prey. And so he leaves the sheep where? In the open field. And then I look at us on a Sunday and I go, you know what, Sunday is really just the open field. And in many ways, it's so safe. It's, it's, it's a safe place, but... It's only where the shepherd is leaving us whilst he does his work elsewhere. And furthermore, Jesus goes on in his teachings to then commission us to be shepherds and do what he was doing, which means most of our work, if I was to look through this parable, is not done on a Sunday. It's not done in the open field. It's done in navigating the hard valleys and finding the lost amongst the thicket, the ones that don't know where they're going the ones that are uh, are desperately vulnerable without a shepherd. 
And, and, and though we've been commissioned to be shepherds, our role is to introduce, is to bring them to, is to show them through our living and our word and our generosity, the shepherd of all shepherds, Jesus Christ. And so he responds to the Pharisees and say, hey, if you were in my position and you had this responsibility, would you go and wouldn't you find the one that was missing, knowing that the other 99 are safe? He like almost has a wise crack at them when he says that heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, he's not saying they don't need to repent. He's just saying they don't realize they need to repent. Does that make sense? Like he's not giving them a whole pass saying, hey, why you would leave because you guys, all you guys are so holy. Why you don't need to repent? No, he's he's sort of being under. He's, like, he's giving a bit of a backhand there. You're like a bit of boom. Like like hey, heaven's going to rejoice over one sinner who knew it was lost and said said yes to Jesus and is found. Then over 99 people who pretend to know the truth, who live a more social faith than they live an actual living Christ-centered faith. I'm, I'm modernizing it to now our our you know post-resurrection faith. And what he's saying is, is that heaven will rejoice over what was lost and found, not, was, not, what, that, no, sorry, not what was uh, you know, understood the truth and, and gets the truth, but doesn't live it out. That's what he's essentially saying, is heaven is more excited over a genuine conversion into life than those who are stagnant in their faith and pretend that they have life. This is the lost sheep. This is not simply, hey, 99, one, good, which is great for like, like kids' church, and it's awesome and it's exciting. But for us as believers, we've got to start beginning, uh, begin to reflect in our life what Jesus is saying here. So let's took, look at this as a, a practical application. When was the last time you left your comfortability to go find who God had commissioned you to find? When was the last time you stepped out of your safety and into the valley to bring hope to have the voice of the shepherd to those who are lost. That looks like at your workplace, when people are hurting, you actually saying something that reflects Jesus. Yes, praying is good. It's really important. But praying is partnered with the action of faith. It means you've got to share, you've got to declare, you've got to make his name known. You've got to call out. Do you know about the times that I've heard people who are now believers say that, it's just the simple conversations that they've had with Christians that have led them to Christ. Not these big, in-depth, theological, you know, uh, apologetic type conversations. It's simply that consistent voice of the shepherd echoing through their conversations in hard times, in confusing times, disorientating times, times like this right now, where all of a sudden you realize that you're not as invincible as you thought you were. The world is not under the control of humanity, that humanity is under the control of many things that we don't see, that we don't know. And we have to turn to something that is real and authentic. Your voice as a believer right now is more of a shepherd's voice than ever before. And there's a world out there filled with ones, filled with ones. And Jesus, is, he, he is so in love with the lost that he's saying, hey, I'm going to leave those who want to live their safe and comfortable life, which is fine. You're not going to get hurt. You've got your inheritance. Cool. But I'm going to go and I'm going to go find the one. Because that's the heart of the Father. It's not simple. The sheep are the, the, the dumbest creatures. I mean, like, and I'm circling back here. But at the end of the day, like, 
I feel like there is a transition from sheep to shepherd for all believers. I really do. And I feel like we can look at this and go, okay, yes, we've got to find the one, pray for the one, look for the one, get that one saved. And that is the right application to a degree. But it's also why. Why do you do it? Why are you there? Are you doing it because we have to? Or have you had the transformation of your sight from the physical to the spiritual? And you're starting to say to yourself, oh, I need to be there. That person needs me. These 99 don't need me. That one needs me right now. If I don't go, then who? If I'm not present, then where, where am I going to be? Am I going to be comfortable? Or am I going gonna, gonna to do my, my commissioning, which is my calling, my purpose, which makes me who I am, my identity in Christ, and pursue this one sheep? The second thing he says here, is that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we see him call his neighbours and his friends and his family in and, and they celebrate the lost sheep. Do you know what? The heart of this parable is simply this. Repentance brings joy to God. Repentance brings joy to God. If you ever want to make God happy, go find him a lost sheep. We do all this stuff to make him happy. Dress right for Sunday tithe, right? Say the right words, have the right attitude, which is all good. But at the end of the day, it's repentance that brings God joy. When the Bible says heaven here, the actual words they're using is not to convey a space, but to convey God himself. So when it says heaven rejoices, it's actually saying God rejoices over one sinner who repents. He rejoices. If we want to make God happy, it's like bringing a gift to your dad or your mum, then the pursuit of the lost and the outcome of repentance brings God immense joy. It brings him immense joy. So when you wake up in the morning like a proud son or daughter and you want to make your dad and mum proud, you want to make God proud, then you go out and you do what you need to do, right? And you fulfill. I want to be a son. Like when I think about what I do in my life, my parents being proud of me is important. Being proud of my pursuit of the things of God in my life is important. Encouraging me in what I'm doing is important. And so when I do what I do, I'm encouraged that it brings my parents joy. In the same sense, when we live out our faith, we should do that through the immense you know, desire to bring God joy, to bring the Father of heaven joy in what we're doing in the pursuit of the lost. He then says, hey, Suppose, he doesn't allow them to talk. He just says, hey, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and say, hey, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels over, uh, of God over one sinner who repents. So we've entered the second parable of something being lost. Now, we know with the concept of a shepherd, if you own a hundred sheep, you're probably well off, right? And so with you losing one sheep, that's not a financial thing. That's, that's deeply a care thing. Now we're looking at this lady. She has 10 coins to her name. The fact she freaks out by, by losing one coin probably indicates to us that she is poor. She's not well off. Furthermore, the Bible says that she lights a lamp and sweeps the house and search carefully until she finds it. The reason she lights a lamp is that she's so poor. Her house, just like every other peasant back then, doesn't have windows. 
So she lights a lamp, doesn't have natural light pouring through. She needs this to find this lost coin. Have you ever put your hand in your pocket in a jacket, what you haven't worn for maybe six months, and you found like a $10 bill or something like that? It's only $10, but you're just like, you feel like it's Christmas. You feel like all it is is you inheriting your stupidity from six months earlier. But you're like, woohoo, this is the best. She has the same outcome when she finds that last coin that she's lost. Now, what I find interesting here is that she has one coin missing out of 10. That's a tithe. That's 10%. She lost the tithe. And the tithe represents what is God's. And I ask you, like, isn't it interesting? It says that she lit a lamp. The lamp is the signification of the Holy Spirit illuminating the word in our life. Yeah. The psalmist writes, your, lamp, your, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. And so we see this woman lose 10% of what she has, the tithe, and she, she lights up a lamp to find it. Can I tell you right now, you might be listening But the encouragement here is very, very clear. We often lose what's most important to us, which is what is God's, in the pursuit of what we think we want. And there comes a point when we can have everything else. We can have nine coins of everything else. But because we've lost the one coin, the tithe, what is God's? I'm not talking financially. I mean who we are, our identity, our faith, our purpose, our meaning. Because we've neglected that, we've lost it. The only way you can find it again is if you come back to the Word and you come back to the Holy Spirit and you say, have your way, illuminate in me what is God so I can find it. Tell, I can tell you right now, if you lose your way in God and, he, and you go back to Him and He helps you find it again, you are rejoicing. You are calling your neighbours. You're telling everyone. See, it even applies to those who have never encountered God before is when they lose something and they do. We know it because our friends are searching for something all the time that don't know Jesus. They're not sure what it is, but we know what it is. It's what He offers us. It is Him. It is the tithe, what belongs to Him. And they're searching for it and they can't find it. And the problem is, is they're, they're in, a, uh, they're in a, 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 a room with no light in it and their best friend's standing next to them and their best friend has a match and their best friend has a lamp and the best friend has the Word of God but won't light it up. So they'll never, they can't find that coin. They're not being taught, they're not being led. This is what Jesus is reflecting on. He's saying, you're upset with me for eating with sinners, but if I don't sit with them, they're never going to find the sheep. And if I don't sit with them, they're never going to find the coin. Yeah. This is important for us as believers. We can't live our life in the shelter of this beautiful paddock, this meadow, unafflicted. The best grass, the top shelf grass, right? Patting each other on the back. As Jesus is telling us, not everyone's present. There's not time to rest. There's not time to celebrate over our self-comfortabilities. I called you out of darkness into light to be shepherds, to be vessels, to be the mouthpiece, to be the beautiful feet of the gospel. Not that you would sit in a dark room with your friends and never light your lamp. Never light their lamp. That's the problem. You don't realise that in you living for God, ever had the sparklers as a kid? 
You know what I'm talking about? You're like, you get heaps of them, you make a bomb. <laughs> I never did that. I'm a good girl. Never did that. Just sparkle time. Emma's like, you know, one time we got a camera and, and we did the settings. And if you did the big thing and you could do an eight and then we made it our DP. Do you remember that? Yeah, I yeah, no. I made bombs of it. The difference between Emma and I. But do you remember as a kid, you'd light the sparkler and if your friend had a sparkler that wasn't on, all they had to do was place it on your sparkler and it lit up. That's just such a simple illustration of what we're called to do. Your friends are looking for that coin. The house isn't. Their spiritual home has no natural light. There's darkness there. All you need to do is live a life that talks of the Word, that allows the Holy Spirit to guide you so that your sparkler can light their sparkler. I know it's simple, hey? But that's what it is. And so I want you to think about this. Next time you're in your workplace and the Holy Spirit's like, hey, maybe you should light the sparkler and you don't, that's on you. That is really on you. I mean, like, you can't hide because you're afraid. I get it. I feel fear. I feel intimidation. I have anxiety in certain situations. I can be stressed on how I'm going to respond and if it's going to impress them or it's going to put them off. But at the end of the day, that is not an excuse for us to allow someone to crawl around in the darkness looking for a coin. It's not okay for us to come here on a Sunday and do whatever we want and enjoy each other and enjoy the Word of God and have no fruition for the lost and never find the one that should be here because we're too busy partying here and not looking out in the mountains and in the valleys and amongst the thorns and the prickles and because we don't, we don't want to get hurt ourselves. Finally, Jesus says something and I, and I think it's just, it's, in, it's indicative for us and that's it, is that he celebrates and he gets excited and he rejoices over those that are diligent for the lost. There's a diligence here in the woman. The Bible says that she sweeps and she's using the lamp and she's checking under everything. She leaves nothing unturned. She is finding it, which means if you're like, I don't have anyone in my life to share the gospel with, then begin to turn your life upside down and realise that there is more there than, you, than you'd like to admit and that at the end of the day, you need to be diligent in finding what is lost. I mean, diligent, like excited. We get to this last story, hey? And it's the most descriptive one. I'm going to read it to you. It's the famous one. It says, The Parable of the Lost Son. It says, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off to a distant land, and there squandered his wealth and in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to the citizen of the country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed for his, to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. 
verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired friends have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But when he was still a while off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe and and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. There's more to this story. We're going to get to it, but... We often focus on the Father's love here, which is true. But this parable is one of three that is, is, is told in a theme of being lost. The theme here is lost. The younger son gets a third of the inheritance, which was owed to him. And it wasn't unusual for them to be given this before the death of their father. And so we know what he does. He spends it all. He lives a wild life. And then famine hits. And he's living with the pigs, which is a massive problem because they're unclean animals. And this, and this is a Jewish context. And he's eating with the pigs or he's desiring to eat with the pigs. And I love what the Bible says, that he comes to a place where he realises that he shouldn't be there. That's not what his calling was. And he realises that there's still the opportunity to be reliant on the Father's character. What What we're hearing Jesus talk about here is that this young man comes to a place of repentance and acknowledges he's allowed and should rely on the character of his dad. I love that image that his father's love is spontaneous as he's still a a while away. uh, His dad runs after him and it's beautiful. And we've heard this preached about so many times. And I love the fact that he's in the middle of his forgiveness speech to his dad and his dad just interrupts him. He's like, quick, someone get a robe. Imagine this, this is the image here. He's like, dad, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. And he's about to say something else. And his dad's just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Quick, get a robe. Get a ring, get a sandal, get the fattest cow we've got. This parable is definitely not about atonement. We often, and the truth is, we preach about this first part of this parable quite often and I don't have to spend much time on it because I know you get it. I know that you get it. I know that you understand that we all have to come to a place of repentance and reliance on the character of God. And I know you all understand the spontaneous love of the Father, how it's undeserved, but it's overwhelming and it's abundant. And it's not a balance. It's not, it's not a transaction. It's over the top. It's generous. It's from a heart that's not corrupt and not crippled by sin. But then we get to the next part of the story and it's the older brother. And he says here, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field working. 
When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. He says, your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he was... Uh, He has him back safe and sound. Verse 28, the older brother came angry, refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This second part of the parable speaks to me like nothing else. He's not talking, I said this at the start, he's not talking to someone who has no concept of God of the Jewish and Christian God, the God, our Father, Son and Holy. He's not having a conversation with someone completely ignorant to this. So this tells us this is not for someone who doesn't know Jesus and then comes back and then the the brother is like, oh, how come you're celebrating him? Because it makes the older brother look like a bit of a douche. When I read this, what I look at is that The church, more often than not, just like the Pharisees, represents the old brother, the one that's been working hard, the one that's diligent, the one that is doing something. And then the younger brother represents a move of the Spirit that awakens what was once lost and is brought back into the fold. And the the older brother rejects the new move of what God is doing. We can get so caught up and he, he's so loving to the older son. He's like, hey, what I have will always be yours. But we, we got to learn to celebrate what we're really here for. And we're not here so that the building can be really nice. And we're not here so that we have the nicest food. We're not here so we can have the best social media or the best outreach. We're here and we're celebrating because at the end of the day, we have come to see what Jesus had come to see. And that was what was dead, come to life. What was lost, found, what was blind, see, resurrection. See, we don't know if the brother goes in or not. It never tells us. The story is a cliffhanger. What we know is, is that Jesus is defending His association with tax collectors and sinners. That's how He started this conversation. The festive eating with them is a necessity for it symbolises God's joy over their repentance. His acceptance indicates His forgiving grace. I love that the older brother is invited into the party. You know, often we think that Jesus was like constantly on the other side to the Pharisees. But here it's clear that he has a love for them because he's actually saying, hey, Pharisees, you're the older brother, but the father still invites you into the party. There's still a place for you. There's love for you. There's an inheritance here. You're not, you're not forgotten. You're not forsaken in all of this, but you've got to make a choice 
but you're blind to repentance and you're blind to the mission of God and you're blind to what God is doing now because you're stuck in what was old. Church, this morning, can I ask you, have we become so religious that even in our hopes for a move of the Spirit, it is still determined by religiosity? Now, we might not be religious and pious as if we were like the Pope walking down two, three hundred years ago or still does today as an as a evangelical church. And we might not be religious in the sense of having all this liturgical tradition that we have to foresee, but we are still religious in how we determine what we think God should do. And He's saying, hey, I need you to have an awakening that He was telling people 2,000 years ago and that is you should be found in the the midst of betrayers and you should be found in the midst of other people that are, are sinners just like we are and you should be found in chaos and you should be found in darkness because you're my vessel, because you carry my light. It's because you live and operate in resurrection power so that lost sheep will be found, that lost coin will be found. And the most important thing is that the love of the Father will be relied upon because the lost son has come home. It tells us that each person we come into contact with is important to God. It tells us each time we say something, pray for something, sing over something, declare something, have a conversation with somebody, bless somebody, curse somebody, we're doing something in the spiritual realms. He doesn't mince his words. He's not ashamed of what he's trying to say. He's saying this to the Pharisees amongst the tax collectors, amongst the sinners. And he's excited because because at the end of the day, he knows he's starting a revolution. He's saying, you know what? I'm the King of the Kings and I'm Lord of Lords and I'm holiness embodied in its most pure form. I'm righteousness and I will be imputing that into you in a moment. But right now I am found amongst the lowest of the low. Why? Because only that is the high can descend to that depth. And more importantly, holiness and righteousness has a seat at the table of sinners. It has a seat at the table of darkness. Actually, that's where it's called to go. We can't hoard up holiness here at the church building. At the same time, there's not a license to do whatever you want, to live an ungodly life. Jesus never lived an ungodly life. He was holy and He was righteous and He was pure and He was perfect. But He, he knew in that, in that living, He was most effective in these hard places. And so as we get sanctified by the Holy Spirit, as we're transformed to be more like Christ, as we're formed spiritually, it's not that we would be hidden behind our church castle walls, but we would be found out in the world. Beacons of hope, light, messengers. Church this morning, as we go into worship, I know everyone has a lost sheep in their life. I know everyone has lost coin. I know everyone has somebody that they can help lead back to the Father. So with that in mind, you remember we gave you and we handed out those bookmarks with the names on it. And I pray that you filled them out. But now is an opportunity to begin to pray over it. Now, there's some of you watching online right now that you need to have your own God moment in relation to the fact that He wants to reinvigorate His identity in you. Find that 10%, that coin, that tithe. What is Him? You've got to value what is Him over everything else. You've got to turn up your life to find what is Him. Don't worry about everything else. Everything else the world has to offer is peripheral to what God has for you in your life. Maybe that's you right now. Maybe you're the prodigal. 
Maybe, maybe in many ways we are all the prodigal, you know, and we've spiritually squandered the gifts He's given us because we wanted to live a comfortable life. But now famine has come, COVID has come, things have changed, lockdown has come. We're wondering, what are we doing? Why does it feel like this? I miss that. I miss this. And God's saying, you know what? Maybe all of us at some point need to get up from where we are and maybe realize maybe we were squandering our spiritual inheritance in our comfortable church, in our comfortable pews with our nice lights. And don't get me wrong, I love all that stuff. But at the end of the day, it's still not worth dying over. Maybe we should go back to the Father this morning and go, you know what, God, even in the midst of this famine right now, this social famine, this gathering famine, this in-person service famine, maybe in the midst of all that, if we would just return to the Father, who knows what would happen? You say, Pastor Ben, I never left the Father. I don't, I'm not saying you did. I'm just saying that spiritually, there's many sons and daughters that need to come home from comfortable Christianity. Just like there's many sons and daughters that need to come home from being completely lost. But this is the beauty of the grace of our God. It doesn't matter where we are on that spectrum. Right now, He's saying, I've got a place for you. I rejoice with the the repentance. I find joy in the repentance. And I'm diligent in looking for those who are lost and giving them a place, a seat at the table of the Father. So this morning, with those cards in hand, with our prayers in our heart and with our time of worship, let's give God the opportunity to move in our life as we all continue to march down this revolutionary road. Come on, church. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.